Um, this is Lori Bell. I'm a lecturer at San Jose State University School of Library and Information Science. And on behalf of my um, colloquium co-coordinator, Bill Fisher, and the school, I am glad to invite you to this afternoon's colloquium. I'm honored to, forget to um, introduce our speaker, um, Dr. Lauren Logston. He's a professor emeritus at Western Illinois University and Eureka College. And he also happens to be my father. Um, so I'm really glad he could be here today. He's taught for over 50 years. And with the recent death of Ray Bradbury, I thought it would be very timely and special to um, have him talk about his friendship with Ray, Berry, Ray Bradbury and Ray Bradbury's uh, love of libraries. Welcome, and I'll turn it over to Lauren Longston. Good afternoon, everyone. And I want to give special thanks to uh, Randy Chang and, of course, Lori for inviting me to participate in this uh, program. I have a special advantage in this respect. I have been able to maintain a personal relationship with a writer whom I have admired all my life, a writer who has given me so many wonderful experiences in the classroom. And uh, so I am delighted that I have been asked to speak about him. I thought I would tell you a little about my first <clears throat> attraction to Ray as a writer, and then uh, talk a little about my personal friendship with him, and then uh, talk about his relationship to libraries. And it's kind of neat that uh, we are doing this program at this particular time because Ray's favorite day of the year was Halloween, October 31st. He loved Halloween. So we're only a few days removed from that, uh, that, that date. My first encounter with the works of Ray Bradbury came in the middle 1950s, but when a high school teacher called my attention to a short story that Ray had written in the Martian Chronicles. The name of the story is There Will Come Soft Rains. And that story is about a mechanical house that goes on functioning after the family has been killed in an atomic war. The imagery that Ray has in that house of the families silhouetted on the wall of the house uh, haunted me because it reminded me of a picture I had seen in a magazine of Japanese people whose silhouettes were outlined on the walls of buildings in Japan uh, from the atomic blast. And it reminded me of how fragile we human beings are in the face, the, in the face of the mighty power of atomic energy. In the summer of 1958, I saw for the first time the John Huston version of the movie Moby Dick. And of course, I discovered that the writer for the film script 
was none other than Ray Bradbury. I was amazed. I was astounded that he could take a novel of about 730 pages or so and turn it into a movie of two hours. Now, I had read Moby Dick twice in college in two different classes, and I knew how long and complicated that movie was, that book was. And I thought, as I viewed the film, that Ray must be a genius. And I thought, perhaps I should read everything that he had written. And I, I started. I started with his novel, Dandelion Wine. I read that novel in the summer of 1958. And it was, for me, a life-changing experience. I fell in love with Bradbury's metaphors. I fell in love with his message that life is to be lived to full measure. I fell in love with his, his belief that imagination is what can help us and save us and inspire us to live fully. The book was just a wonderful, wonderful experience for me. Now, I became a college teacher in 1960, but I had only a master's degree at that time, and so I could not teach literature courses with just a master's degree. I taught mainly freshman composition courses, so I didn't have much of an opportunity to teach Ray's works. That was changed when I got my Ph.D. in 1969. I could teach literature, and I taught Ray's works every chance I could get. In other words, at Western Illinois, where I was teaching at the time, we were given the freedom to select the texts we wanted to use in our classes. I was teaching a 20th century American novels class at that time, and so I always included Ray Bradbury's Dandelion Wine in that class. I was also able to teach other literature classes, and I used his other works, uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, and The Martian Chronicles, of course, and Fahrenheit 451, which is generally acknowledged as his, as his best work. But I used short stories. I used everything I could get my hands on to teach. At one time, my department chairman uh, was sending me to the Quad Cities in Illinois to teach an extension course. And she, she suggested, why don't you offer a course in Ray Bradbury, the fiction of Ray Bradbury? She didn't have to persuade me all that much. And what I discovered when I went to meet the class for the first time, there were 35 students enrolled in the class. It didn't surprise me that they all liked Ray Bradbury, but the number kind of surprised me. Uh, 35 students took a course in Ray Bradbury and loved it. My personal relationship with Ray Bradbury began in 1990. At that time, I was a fiction, the fiction editor of the Mississippi Valley Review, which is a little magazine that Western Illinois University produced at that time. 
the Mississippi Valley Review had gone through 19 years of existence. We were entering our 20th year, and that is unusual for a little magazine. Uh, as most of you know, little magazines do not live very long, and so uh, for ours to live for 20 years was, was something special. And we thought we would do something special to honor or commem commemorate that, that uh, anniversary. So the editors got together and agreed that we would write to a famous writer, explain the circumstances, and ask the writer to donate a, a poem or story for our issue, for our anniversary issue. At that time, I thought I would write to Ray Bradbury because I'd never attempted to make any kind of personal connection with him before. So I wrote a letter to Ray and asked him if he would give us a poem or story. I got this postcard back, and I'd like to read this postcard for you, because remember, this is a postcard from a world-famous writer who is writing to an English professor whom he does not know. He says, Dear Lauren Logston, thank you for your incredible, warm, wondrous letter of the 15th. You knocked me over with your enthusiasm. I am coming to Waukegan on Monday, June 25th, when they will dedicate a park in my name. I cannot come to visit you, but if there are any among you who wish to show up for the festivities, you could contact the mayor's office to see what the program is, mainly all day on Tuesday the 26th with a dinner at night. If you decide to come, I will be glad to chat with you if you come up and shake hands before or after the dinner. I will be heading out of Greentown, your term, on Wednesday the 27th to promote my new novel. Thanks for your kind words. Bless you. Yours, Ray Bradbury. Well, I was pleased to get the postcard from him, but he made no mention of donating a work for us. And so I thought perhaps I'd crossed the line and done something I shouldn't have done by asking a writer to donate his work. Well, about two weeks later, I was in my office at Western Illinois University. It was 3.30 in the afternoon on a Friday, and the phone rang. The voice on the other end said, is Lauren Logston there? And I said, speaking. And he said, this is Ray Bradbury. I hope I'm not calling at a bad time for you. Can you believe that? Here is a world-famous writer who's asking if it's a bad time for me. I didn't think of the right answer. It took me two weeks to think of the right answer. The right answer is, Ray, you can call me anytime you want to. But I was so flabbergasted, I, couldn't, I, I could only mutter, uh, no, it's a good time, or something like that, I think. He told me that he was sending me two poems, and one of the poems was uh, a poem about the death of Shakespeare and Cervantes on the, on the same day. He said that he couldn't think of a title for the poem, and he asked me if I would edit it and help him find a title. This time I knew the right answer. I said to him, I can do that. And so he said, fine, I'll send the poem along to you. But here is a famous writer who is 
speaking to an unknown English professor with the most gracious kind of language that you can imagine. I was so impressed. Now, later, um, when I moved to Eureka College, uh, my colleague Nancy Perkins and I were thinking of a special kind of thing to do for young writers in the area, young high school students. And we thought about having a writing competition with a famous writer as a guest speaker. I said to Nancy, I think I have the perfect writer to start this program. It's Ray Bradbury, and I hope I can afford him. Well, our dean of students contacted Ray's agent and explained the situation and asked for a uh, price for a contract. Uh, later, the agent told me that Ray had reduced his price, his normal price, just because of his familiarity with me. So we got Ray at a bargain. Again, remarkable generosity on Ray's part. He came to campus, and he was an immediate hit. The students loved him. He reacted with students in the most wonderful way. And at night, he gave a lecture to the student, the high school students and the Eureka community at large. He received a standing ovation. As he was leaving, he said to me, if you like me, ask me back in three or four years, and I'll come back. And I thought to myself, if we like you, what do you mean if we like you? So. In 1997, I asked Ray, I invited Ray to come back to speak to us. I invited my wife to accompany me to pick him up at the airport in Peoria. And she said, oh, goodness, I, I don't think so. She said, what would I have to say to a famous writer? <clears throat> and I said, oh, ask him about his grandchildren and his cats. She didn't have to do that even. Within five minutes, they were talking to each other as if they had known each other for life. Old friends getting together after years of being apart. And that's a point that I would like to make with you about Ray as a person. He had this remarkable gift. Not, not many people have it. The remarkable gift of being able to make other people feel completely at ease in this company. You didn't have to put on airs with Ray Bradbury. You didn't have to impress him with profound, deep philosophical questions. All you had to be was a genuine human being yourself. And so uh, I was, uh, to tell the truth, I was a little apprehensive about what he would be like uh, person to person, in person. Because I know that uh, from some of my friends that some of these writers really can be kind of nasty uh, in person and so forth. Uh, for example, Kurt Vonnegut oftentimes was, uh, was rather nasty with people. But Ray was better in person than I ever hoped he would be. And my relationship with him, of course, continued after 1997. Uh, I sent him a card and uh, a letter and said, Ray, you've never been to Springfield, Illinois, to Lincoln country. Why don't you come back 
and I'll give you a personal escort escort to the uh, New, New Salem place in Springfield. And he said, that sounds like a good idea. Unfortunately, he had the stroke in 1999, and that prevented him from following up on that. But what a wonderful, wonderful experience I have had with this writer whom I love very much. Uh, and that's why I have such gratitude now in my 51st year of, of teaching. Uh, Ray said to the audience at, uh, in 1997 to these young writers uh, in the audience, he said, the gift of life is so precious, we should feel an obligation to pay back the universe for the privilege of being alive. What a remarkable statement to make to young writers. And uh, of course, it calls our attention that we should be grateful, that we should have gratitude for those things in our lives that we cherish and, and hoard and so forth. Ray has been known all his life as a friend of, of the library. Now, in 2008, I was given the opportunity, partly through my daughter's work, uh, to uh, interview Ray Bradbury from a satellite hookup at Springfield, Illinois, to his home in Los Angeles. And a big part of that interview was spent talking about libraries. Ray has always been an outspoken, faithful friend and promoter of libraries. and. He explained to me in that interview that after he graduated from high school, he didn't have the money to go to college. And so the public library became his means of getting a college, the equivalent of a college education. He told me that he went three nights a week to the library and read. He also told me that as a young writer early in his career, he would type his manuscripts from uh, using typewriters that he rented at the library. He also told me that students who want to learn about writing really can't learn in colleges. He said, what you must do is go to the library, browse around, until you find writers that then become your teachers. He said that if you take writing classes in colleges, you are influenced by the bias of the teacher. So some teachers may want you to write like Henry James. Some teachers may want you to write like Flannery O'Connor. Some may want you to write like Ernest Hemingway. Perhaps you don't want to write like those three writers. In that case, go to the library and discover the writers that you want to, to uh, write, want to be your teachers. Along those lines, he mentioned that one of the writers who influenced him in the library was Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar Rice Burroughs, Edgar Allan Poe, H.G. Wells, 
and Sherwin Anderson. I mentioned Sherwin Anderson to you because Ray was impressed with Winesburg, Ohio, with the way that book was set up, and he wanted to write a book like that himself. Well, Martian Chronicles is set up exactly like Winesburg, Ohio. It is a collection of stories, just as Winesburg is. There's another influence from Winesburg, Ohio, that I discovered in my interview with Ray in 2008. I was talking to Ray, I was asking Ray about my favorite passage in Fahrenheit 451. It's the, the passage where Montag is running away from the mechanical hound and he gets to the river. He's escaped the hound and he gets to the river, jumps in the river and floats down the river. And as he's floating down the river, he is purged of the bad effects of the city. So that when he reaches the shore and gets out of the river, it's like he was born again. It's like he was brought back from the dead. And he has a moment there where there's a, a rustling in the leaves in the in the brush and he thinks the mechanical hound has tracked him down and then he realizes it's just a deer, a natural animal, a deer, and he's so relieved. But I told Ray that was my favorite scene in the book and that um, I complimented him for writing it. He said something which is similar to Sherwood Anderson's theory in Winesburg, Ohio. He said, I didn't write that scene, Montag wrote it. Montag came to me and told me to write it. And in fact, Montag told me to write the entire book. It was Montag's book. It was as though Montag came to me and said, I'm confused and lost, what do I do? And thus, Fahrenheit 451 is the result of, as Bradbury says, Montag coming to him and asking him what he should do. Now, Sherwin Anderson explained how he wrote Winesburg, Ohio in much the same manner. Anderson said his characters came to him and wanted him to, begged him, in fact, to tell their stories so that Ray Bradbury is, is in effect, influenced by Sherwood Anderson. Uh, he said all of his characters come to him and tell him a story, and, and that, of course, is what Sherwood Anderson did in his writing. The uh, My favorite Ray Bradbury work is, of course, Dandelion Wine, and I like it so much because it's such a positive and life-affirming novel. So many novels <coughs> these days tend to uh, be pessimistic. And in fact, Ray told me that he doesn't really like the modern movies so much because he says they're in love with death. They're too much in love with death. He said, I'm not in love with death. I'm in love with life. And I mention this point because the reason students do like Ray's work and many of them have called me 
years later or written to me and thanked me for teaching Ray Bradbury, especially Dandelion Wine. Dandelion Wine is a life-affirming novel. It, its message is being alive is a wonderful experience. We need to open our eyes, look around, and see how wonderful life is. His message then is picked up by students. They realize that he is a writer who is in love. I uh, ask him uh, why. I ask him if he could explain his appeal to so many people. See, young people like him, middle-aged people like him, old people like him. There are no gener <clears throat> generation <clears throat> gaps with Ray Bradbury. His answer was quick and very simple. He said, because I, I'm a lover. He said, I love people. I love life. He said, I wanted to be the world's greatest lover. And I think, in, in effect, in Dandelion Wine, he certainly is. I have taught that novel so many times, and I have never, ever grown tired of teaching it. There's always that message there, which tells us, Live life to full measure. Live your life to full measure. Drink the entire bottle of the dandelion wine, okay? And so you live fully. Um, there's another point that I would like to talk to you about, but uh, time is running out here. So, But I would like to uh, tell you about Ray as a magician. Uh, early in his life, Ray fell in love with magic. He... Uh, was uh, he went to a carnival once, and he found a character there named Mr. Electrico. Mr. Electrico uh, was sitting there, and Ray, in order to approach him, he had this magic trick, and he came up to Mr. Electrico and asked if he could show him how to do it. And Mr. Electrico took a liking to Ray, showed him how to do the trick, and talked to him, and so forth. The next night, Ray attended a magic uh, carnival act at the, well, the carnival, and Mr. Electrico leaned over to him and touched him and said, live forever. Ray said, that was a turning point in my life. I wanted to be a writer from then on. And so Mr. Electrico gave me the ins inspiration to live fully, to live forever, he said. Okay. And he will live forever, of course, in his books. Uh, Ray also attended a performance of Blackstone the Magician. And Ray was called up on stage to help Blackstone pull the rabbit out of his hat. And, and Blackstone gave the magician, uh, gave the rabbit to Ray. But Ray wanted to be the world's greatest magician. And this is a good note to conclude on. There is magic in his works. Magic in his work. It isn't the hocus-pocus, sleight-of-hand magic that you find at a carnival or a magic show. It's a magic which tells us life is wonderful. Live it fully. Use your imagination. Open your eyes. Look around. See what a beautiful creation unfolds before us every day. Live every day to the fullest. Ray said, I'm not an optimist and I'm not a pessimist. I'm an optimal behaviorist. I try to live each day at the top of my energy and power. And he says, if you do that, 
you're you're successful. You're a winner. You come out on top. Okay. Um, it's uh, time to, for me to conclude now. So um, if there are questions, I'll be glad to answer them. Um, a, a colleague and I have a paper coming out in January of uh, next year uh, on Fahrenheit 451. Um, we see a connection between Fahrenheit 451 and Dante's Inferno. And I especially ask Ray if uh, his character Clarice in Fahrenheit 451 was inspired by Dante's Beatrice because they do similar functions in the paper. In other words, Clarice and Beatrice awaken the protagonists of the respective works uh, that something is wrong, something needs to be done. Ray said, no, no, no. He said, I, um, put, Clarice is my younger self when I was young and full of life and full of enthusiasm and so forth. But I've written uh, three or four articles, published three or four articles on Bradbury's works. But I've never written a book about my experience with him. Uh, sounds like a good idea. Why will your paper be published? The paper will be published in a journal uh, called uh, a journal sponsored by the Society for the Study of Midwestern Literature, and I think that um, that organization has two journals. One is called Mid America. And the other is a Midwestern Quarterly, Midwestern uh, Quarterly, I believe. So uh, you can find it there. I'm not quite right on the second title. Oh no, I remember now. It's Midwestern Miscellany, N not Midwestern Quarterly. Midwestern Miscellany. She recently purchased Fahrenheit 451 as an ebook. You know what he thought of the new format, like ebook. Okay. Uh, yes, I do. Um, Ray didn't like ebooks. Ray was old-fashioned, and he said that he liked to take a book to bed with him and and read in bed. And I suppose you could do that with uh, ebooks. I'm sure you could. But he liked the idea of just snuggling up with a good book, and so. Uh, he, he didn't like the ebook. Lori got me involved in an ebook project around uh, 2000, wasn't it, Lori? And I had a class working with an ebook, and it was a special experience for the students at that time. Uh, some of them loved the ebook, and others didn't like it so much. So the class was pretty much split on the ebook. Um, I kind of liked it myself, although. Um, I'm not that uh, into uh, that kind of electronics. I'm kind of like Ray. I like the old-fashioned way of reading a book. But I think there are tremendous advantages to the e-book. And I just, of course, touched the surface with the project I did with Lori on e-books. Thank you so much for your presentation. I recently finished an anthology of Bradbury short stories. He's one of my favorite authors. Knowing that he loved libraries is fantastic. Oh yes, Ray, Ray always, always spoke highly of libraries. And in fact, the uh, interview 
when I interviewed him in 2008, he said that the favorite women in his life were either librarians, English teachers, or book agents. And he said, what I look for in women is what's between their ears, in other words, the brain, not, not the physique. And, and so his love of libraries was indeed genuine. He really said, I graduated from the library when I was 28. And he said, I had a better education than I would have had if I'd gone to college. So he, and, and when he said that, there was a live audience in the, in the room, and he received a, a applause that uh, I think was fantastic. I mean, in other words, people appreciated that. And also, he thinks that really the public schools and the colleges have failed to educate us properly. And so he says, the real educator is the library. And he would have all learning focused on the library. Um, oh, on the short stories. I think Ray Bradbury is in many ways a better short story writer than he is a novelist. Although there, two of his novels really are are kind of very, very tight. Um, his novel um, Fahrenheit 451 is, and his novel Something Wicked This Way Comes. These two have a marvelous unity, but I think he works best in the genre of the short story myself. Um, he's got some excellent short stories, and uh, when you consider that he wrote the stories in the October country when he was in his early 20s, and you realize what, what depth those stories have, what intellectual depth they have, it, it, it is amazing. But he, he does excel in the short story. Uh, I don't think there's anything about it, any doubt about that, really. Um. Something um, wicked this way comes with the first novel she read. Yes, that's a good novel to read uh, because it is well written, it's well plotted, and so forth. Uh, Martian Chronicles, of course, is episodic. It's like Winesburg, Ohio. It's single, it's single stories tied together by colonization of Mars, but. Something Wicked This Way Comes is, is one of his best in terms of being well-organized and held together in a tight way. Um, it's a good novel to start with. I would uh, offer a couple of what I consider Ray's best short stories. I think the Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro Machine, I've written an article on that, by the way, Kilimanjaro machine, and I think I sing the body electric, which is a story about an electric grandmother, a machine that Bradbury would support. Uh, generally, Bradbury doesn't like machinery because machinery 
machineries are controlling us too much. But there are some good machines, and two of them are found in the Kilimanjaro device and I sing the body electric. Uh, those are machines that work. Those are the machines that are good and humane and so forth. Do you know what was his favorite book and story that he wrote? I asked him that question, and he said, I don't have a favorite book because my books are like my children, and I don't have a favorite child. I love all of my books, he said. Uh, I tried to pin him down on that, but that was the answer he gave me. He doesn't have a favorite, or he didn't have a favorite book. He liked all of them. Um, any final questions? Okay, is there a final question? Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. I had just um, taken the mic to wrap up, but I will. Um, uh, Jessica has a question. Um, she agrees with the assessment he's a better short story writer than novelist, but she thinks his masterful crafting of short stories was something that few authors do as well. She's noticed this with a few other science fiction fantasy authors. Do you think that this might have to do with the genre itself? I honestly don't think it has to do with the genre. Here's what I think it has to do with. I really believe that deep down, Ray was a poet and not a fiction writer. And I asked him about his poetry, and he started out writing poetry, but he says it didn't work. But if you notice, one thing that stands out in Ray Bradbury's style is a magnificent use of metaphor. And I think that is a particular strength of poetry. So I don't think the science fiction genre limited him uh, at all. I think he's mainly a poet, a poet, and his poems are rather short, so the short story is the best for him to work at. Uh, that's just my opinion, and I've I, I, I long considered the question you asked, but I, I, I kind of think he really was a poet at heart, but he couldn't make any money writing poetry. And so he turned to fiction, and his best fiction, I think, would be the short stories. But an interesting question, which has caused me uh, a lot of thought, inspired a lot of thought in me, and caused me to do a lot of thinking. He's a wonderful style, but it's a poetic style, I think, rather than a prose writer style. Okay, That's just what I think anyway. Well, I think we'll end with that question. Thanks for your great questions. And again, thanks for the great presentation. And Randy, thank you for all your help and coordination of the, the technical aspects. Thank you for coming and have a wonderful weekend. 
and I really enjoyed working with you, and I really, as, as Lori said, appreciate the questions that have been asked. It's been an uh, experience I've truly enjoyed, and uh, as Ray said, if you like me, invite me back. No, <laughs> okay. Thank you.